0: Hello and welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of Christians who live in Montreal. We meet together on Wednesday nights to discuss issues of faith in Jesus Christ and how to serve Him in the modern world. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast, which is a sermon from our series on holiness. We're going to talk tonight about uh, prayer, essentially. It's part two of our mini-series on holiness. Uh, So last week we looked at the sheer privilege and joy it is to go on this journey with God, uh, that idea of we get an opportunity to have a purpose in life we get the opportunity to experience the blessing of knowing Him. And so, it was the, the purpose of the sermon last week was to orient our attitude rightly about the idea of holiness. It's not a drag, it's not uh, something that is imposed upon us as this great burden that we have to bear, uh, though obviously it is uh, difficult sometimes and you will encounter trial along the way. It is ultimately a great blessing, and it creates a huge amount of blessings in life as well. So tonight we're going to look at the first way that we can grow in holiness, and the the main I think one of the greatest and seldom looked at uh, methods of growth in holiness is through prayer, and. I want to open up with the opening words, chapter one, of Timothy Keller's book on prayer. He writes this magnificent book of prayer, which I encourage you to read, actually. Uh, but the opening words of, of uh, chapter one are this, we aren't going to make it. And I like that, because it just set the tone for the necessity of prayer. We aren't going to make it. Have you ever been in a situation like that before, where you encounter something and you think, oh, I have no chance of success here. Like there's just no way that I'm going to be able to do this. Uh, I was trying to come up with the best example uh, to try to illustrate this point and the one I kept coming back to is my infamous uh, djembe story, which some of you were actually there for. Not that many of you these days, but uh, one time at CU20 uh, years ago, uh, the worship team asked me to help them by uh, just getting the drum and hitting it on beat. and Now, you don't, maybe don't know this about me, but I am hopeless when it comes to anything musical. Really, really bad. And yet, I'll be honest, there was a small part of me, just the smallest part, but despite all my resistances, because they were trying to convince me. to like, just come, it's really easy, it's really easy. Just, you just got to hit the drum. You just got to hit the drum at the right time. And there was a small part of me that was like, maybe I can do this maybe I can do this, how hard could it be? And so I begin, I begin to hit the drum in what I, again, thought was okay. Halfway through the first song, Sandra, who's the lead at this point, stops and says, guys, would you mind clapping to help Chris keep the beat? (laughs) The drummer had to have the audience help him to keep the beat, that's how bad I was. Uh, And so at that point I thought, I'm not going to make it, like there's no way that I can do this. I need help, I need assistance, I am done for. And the whole point of the first chapter of Timothy Keller's book is the necessity of prayer. Essentially, without prayer, uh, apart from encountering God through prayer in meaningful ways, we simply aren't going to make it. The type of life that we're called to live as Christians, one of holiness one of Christ's likeness is a high, high calling, one that we can't simply muster up enough gumption to get at ourselves. We're not gonna be able to do it ourselves. And there may be some of us, and I think I'm guilty of this from time to time, who think that in terms of limitations, you have physical limitations, you know, I can't jump so high, I can't dunk a basketball. Uh, you have mental limitations, there certain areas in terms of, you know, maths, equations, whatever else, that I simply, I couldn't do it, I don't have the, the IQ to do it. But we're not so aware of our moral limitations. To know that um, there are limits in terms of my capacity to love, my capacity to forgive, my capacity to be generous. Some of us, I think, need reminders of that. I know I certainly do. Sometimes I fall into a prideful trap of thinking, you know, if I really wanted to, I could be generous. If I really wanted to, I could be more loving. I could be more forgiving than I am. My problem is I just don't see the need for it. And, but if I did, I could do it. And that's just wrong. You know, it's just, it's just impossible. That's the whole point of a lot, some of Jesus Christ's teaching in the New Testament, you know, to, to point you to the fact that you can't do it. It's, it's not possible. That was Paul's big idea in Romans, when he looked at the law and really he understood for the first time, like, oh, I mean, I can't make it. If this is what the law requires, I'm not going to make it. And so if we're serious about holiness, we need to understand first and foremost that we can't do it alone. We are not capable of doing it, and so it makes prayer an absolute necessity. And the passage we're going to look at tonight, and it's the passage we're actually going to come back to, all three sermons in the next three weeks, uh, I want to think of it as like the mother verse. Have you ever, guys ever made kombucha before? You've got like this slimy jellyfish looking thing called the scoby, but it's also called the mother. And you've got to put it in. Each, each time you've got to make kombucha, you, you start with like this tea, and then you've got to like scoop out the scoby and like plop it into, or you scoop out the mother, and you plop it into the, the, the kind of, the tea, and then it turns into kombucha. So this verse, is, this is a terrible analogy. <laughs> this verse is like the jellyfish that you scoop out and plop into the tea, the tea being the sermon. I'm gonna just <laughs> stop, it's not going well, it's not going well. But we're gonna keep coming back to this verse all three times because it, within this verse, we, we have uh, really brought forward for us the three methodologies that we need to employ when it comes to living a holy life. And the verse is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 25. And I'm going to read it and then we're going to unpack it a little bit uh, together tonight. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 25. This is what it says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace which be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also must be holy in all your conduct. As it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing That you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with imperishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who, through him, are believers in God, who... Who raised him? I'm sorry, believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of the field, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Why don't we pray together quickly? Lord, as we look at a passage like this, we seek to unpack it, there's such a richness and a depth to it that uh, it's intimidating, Lord, it's, it's overwhelming to really approach And I ask, God, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would help us to understand what your will is for our prayer life tonight, what your will is for the way that our minds and our hearts are conformed before you and as we encounter you. So, God, we reach out to you now in prayer. We ask that you fill us with the good news of the gospel once again, and that through that you may change us and make us new. We pray this in Jesus' most mighty and precious name. Amen. So, there may not have seemed to be much mention in that passage on prayer, but what you should have been able to notice is as we draw out directives on holiness, there was a lot of talk about sort of the conforming of a mind, the conforming of a heart in, in a certain way. You know, we see pa- in, within the passage, you know, these kind of uh, exhortations like prepare your mind. And be sober-minded. Uh, setting, like, set your hope. Set your hope on the, you know, the revelation of Christ to come. You know, know your ransom is being is, you know, with imperishable things, not with perishable things. Uh, set, you know, seeing as a, as that verse at the end illustrated the fleeting nature of life. Looking at these things, uh, understanding them, adopting them into your worldview is very much an integral part of what it means to live a holy life. And, and indeed, the very ability to lead a holy life comes from this. If you, we could, we could just add just a little bit from chapter 2, verse 2, where it, it says, you know, very plainly, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that, it, by, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And what we see within this is there's very, there's very uh, sensory language, language of the emotion, language of the heart, language of craving uh, and faith and hope. And then there's language of rationale. Language of understand and set your mind and, and these types of, and know, know these certain things. And so within it we see that there's this interplay of, of two type two parts of us really needing to be conformed in different ways. And uh, what um, I think it was uh, John Murray speaks about in prayer is what we need to aim for in prayer is a type of intellectual mysticism. And I know that that word may seem to like flick alarm bells, like the word mysticism obviously doesn't have good connotations in the world in the world today, uh, but he, he's writing a long time ago when words meant different things, but he, what he wanted to aim at was this idea that prayer needs to touch upon both, at, both parts of our in, inward life. We need to touch upon the sensory, about tasting that the Lord is good and craving after certain things, longing, and being satisfied in those longings, and also the intellectual part, the rational center of who we are, being satisfied as we seek to deepen our understanding about who Christ is, deepen the knowledge we have of the gospel as well. And all of these things come about as we spend meaningful time with God in prayer. Now there are different ways of praying. You know, we do pray in such a way that we speak to God, but we should also pray in such a way that we listen to God and we converse with God through His Word, praying as we understand and then asking questions of the text as we pray those questions up to God and then dig deeper into the text, hoping to find the answer to them. There's a type of action and reactionary kind of prayer that we need to adopt as well. But if if we... enter into this correctly, then what we find in prayer is really the epicenter of change of the Christian life. It is the the method, it is the main way that we experience deep change. It is the way that we get to know God. It is the way that we, it's the key to everything that we need to be and to do is found for the Christian, those who have tasted that the Lord is good, in prayer. Therefore, we, we cannot just lay it aside. We can't just be forgetful about prayer. We need to think of it much like you would, uh, I think there are some OTs and physiotherapists in the house. When you give someone a, a, a prescription of what to do and you say, you gotta do this every day otherwise you'll never get better. That's the type of thinking we need to have about prayer. Do this exercise daily. If you don't, you'll never be able to walk again. You'll never be able to stand up straight again, whatever it's gonna be. That's the kind of uh, gift we've been given here. Like, look, this is an action which will radically transform your life, but it is absolutely necessary. And so if you don't do it, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to live the life you can. So we simply can't let it slip our mind. The problem with us is we have sin within us that so deeply entangles us and has such, you know, uh, just deep and abiding roots in our heart. And these things need time to be rooted out and pulled out of our life sin that was dealt with on the cross and conquered, we need to go about the daily action of beating it and killing it in our life as we increase in holiness. And the issue with that is we don't know how sinful we are because of our sin. Our sin hides our sinfulness from us. Our very self stops us from being able to see who God is. We have these problems that unless we get a good sense of who God is, a good sense and reminder of what the gospel is, we are liable to fall into all kinds of traps. Flannery O'Connor, who's this amazing um, poet and, and beautiful writer, she writes this uh, in her journal. She says, she's speaking to God, she says, I don't know you because I am in the way. And she, she expresses in her journal this very, very honest uh, reality that prayer is hindered and spiritual life is hindered because of all kinds of fears and insecurities that we have, uh, all kinds of um, self-focus and pride that we hold on to that it's difficult for us to see through these things, but when we pray rightly, it's the antidote to these things. And so at the end of one of her journal entries, she just cries out in a moment, I think of desperation, can't somebody teach me how to pray? And I think that's a, 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 it's a, certainly something I've felt to, to before. Prayer, I understand its importance, but it's also something of a mystery. And I am a, a pilgrim along the way as well. I don't have prayer anywhere near to the stage that it ought to be in my life, though I'll, I'll admit through the pandemic it's, it's gotten better because you know necessity being the mother of invention. But I don't have prayer all uh, wrapped up in a neat bow. It's something I, I, I really wanna grow deeply in But what I've discovered as well is that it's one of those things that people who we would think are like far and above, you know, huge sort of champions, warriors of prayer, they feel much the same way. They look at prayer and think, you know, I I really, there's so much more I could be doing. There's so much more I could be knowing and understanding. And prayer seems to have this infinite depth to it that you can keep going deeper and deeper into as well. And so, the problem with us is that we have this, without knowing, God and and fellowshipping with him, we're bound to forget crucial things, ignore crucial things, minimize what we should be elevating, panic in moments where we should be having peace. And so what prayer does is it re-centers us on the foundation of, of our faith. It brings us back to the, to, to the root of it all and it creates for us a religion that actually has power, actually has joy. You know, without prayer, we don't have that. Without, without a meaningful uh, way of encountering God, we simply will have a life that is religious, but no, not joyful, not powerful at all. And we're liable to sort of just remake God in our own image. One of the most powerful things I've read recently, uh, it really hit me, uh, was someone unpacking for me uh, one of these verses that I thought I knew but I actually really didn't understand at all. The verse is Isaiah uh, chapter 55, uh, 8 and 9. And it's that verse um, My thoughts are not your thoughts, uh, declares the Lord. Uh, my ways are higher than your ways. We all know that verse if you've been around church long enough. And I brought this up in a sermon a couple, a couple months ago. But the meaning of the verse, has, as I always understood it, was, oh, God's plan is mysterious. You know, when things are happening in life that we don't quite get, uh, it's because my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, declares the Lord. But actually, that's not the context. Isaiah 55, verse 6 to 9, has a very different context. The context of the verse is one of God speaking of his compassion. Oh, I gotta get there in the right place. No. It says this Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near, let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What God is speaking about in that passage is, when he says my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, he's meaning my compassion is higher than your compassion. My mercy is not your mercy. And unless we are encountering a God who is unlike us, who is different, radically above, more powerful, more merciful, more compassionate than us, unless we're encountering that type of truth, there's no power in our life. There's no way of us really changing in any deep way because we are just liable to make compassion the way we experience compassion and mercy the way we experience mercy. We need reminders and be, to be woken up to the fact that God is not like us. He's not like us. Let's do an experiment quickly. Just uh, shout out some of the um, attributes of God. Holiness. Holiness. Love. Love. Compassion. compassion. Faithful? Yeah. Eternal. Eternal? Grace. Grace? Or great? Grace. Grace. Great. Or both. <laughs> great grace. What else? Kind. Kindness. Patient. Patient. Righteous. Righteous. There's lots. There's, there's literally dozens of them. Just. Just. Thank you. There's dozens and dozens of them. If we determine to get to know God, my goodness, I mean, how how far can you go? How much is there to know about God? Infinite. An infinite amount to know about God. Meeting with God on a regular basis is the grounds of holiness because by it we get to experience the radical otherness of God. We get to be reminded of the fact of how unlike us he is, how great and high he is above us. And this is the remedy to irrational fears. This is the remedy to holding, clinging to things in this life that we ought to let go of. This is the remedy for a lack of joy, a lack of love. This is how these things are undone in our life. This is also the greatest thing we could hope for. John Murray says, meeting with God is the crown and apex of true religion. That is what we long for, to meet God. And we get to do that, yes, in a, in, a, in a smaller way, but we get to do that now. We get to spend time with God. And so if we consider Christian life as if, you know, there's a pathway before us. Uh, we listened to that documentary a few weeks, maybe a month or so ago, uh, American Gospel in Christ Alone. Uh, and he used that, one of the guys of dozens that were there, uh, used an analogy of train tracks. He says, you know, like, if the Christian life is like a, a set of train tracks, uh, and we are the train on that tracks, it does no good for us or for preachers to just point at the train tracks and say, look, that's the way you ought to go, without providing the, the engine, the fuel, in order for us to actually go. And he goes on to say, you know, the gospel is the 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 fuel, it's the engine, it's the thing that actually enables us to go along that track because it changes our heart. It changes our internal life and it bears fruit in the world around us and within our life as well. So here's where we see the power of prayer. And linking itself to the necessity of prayer, we, we experience, if we, if we engage rightly with prayer, uh, what Keller points out is a new sweetness and a new bitterness that come with it as well. A new sweetness in the fact that we will experience new expressions of God's love for us. There's a sweetness to that, that we get to as we read His Word. It happened to me yesterday, reading His Word, and I just got touched once again by by the sacrifice of Christ. And it really helped me to to experience the love of Christ. But a new bitterness comes with it as well, because as we engage with Christ, we get to see our sin. We get to see our lack of holiness as we come before God and our need to repent, our need to, to let go of things that we haven't yet let go of. And so there'll be a wrestling within us to see God overcome the evilness within my life and the evilness within this world as well. So what prayer is doing here is making the gospel real to our hearts, beginning at conversion and then every day thereafter. Prayer is... The, w- the way that we open ourselves up to experience the reality of the gospel once again. And so I, I want to just spend the rest of the sermon, and it's not going to be long, five more minutes, uh, sort of looking at, oh, that's heavy rain, uh, looking at a, a different kind of slant on a very familiar idea. Because when we look at holiness being, uh, you know, something we must do, that's true. But let's look at it from a different perspective because we don't glorify God by serving Him. We glorify God primarily by being served by Him. And I know that sounds weird, so let me try and unpack it. What we see in, in Scripture is that there's, an, there's a need for us to be filled by God so that He might be glorified through our life. And We see that uh, pointed out in Psalm 50 verse 15. And this is uh, something that Spurgeon writes about, or he preaches about. Uh, So Psalm 50, verse 15, says this. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Call upon me, I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Spurgeon explains uh, the passage this way. He says, God and the praying man take shares. First, here is your share. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Secondly, here is God's share. I will deliver thee. Again, you take a share, for you shall be delivered. And then again, it is God's turn. Thou shall glorify me. Here is the, the compact a covenant that God enters into with you who pray to him whom uh, and whom he helps. He says, you shall have the deliverance, but I must have the glory. Here is the delightful partnership that we obtain, which we so greatly need. And all that God getteth is the glory which is due his name. When we think about holiness, we need to understand that A true God-glorifying life is one in which we have allowed Him and continue to allow Him to serve us in the sense that we are impacted by His great service to us. We allow ourselves to receive, once again, His new mercies every morning. We receive the grace that comes to us from the gospel. We receive the joy that comes from knowing we are loved by Him. We receive these things, and if we don't, If we choose to live a life where we just are trying to grin and bear it, just trying to to plow through by our strength alone, what we are essentially doing is robbing him of glory because we're not allowing him to deliver us. We're not allowing him to serve us in that way. And John Piper writes, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. This doesn't negate the need that we have to serve God. It's obviously written very plainly in Scripture, our need to obey and serve and faithfully go forward with God. But it puts primary what needs to be primary, that we are first delivered and then we glorify. That is the way that it needs to go. And if we forget that, then we cannot be enabled for the life on mission. Prayer is supposed to do that. Prayer is supposed to equip us and enable us for a life on mission. John sort of 14 to 16, if you read through that, we see that the way that Jesus speaks about our ability to pray and our prayers be answered, that will both give us joy and give God glory, and that we can't bear fruit apart from this. It's an amazing unpacking of the idea of prayer, and the idea of depending upon the Lord. But the reality of it is just that. Through prayer, we exhibit this dependence, and we are filled, and by it, we are enabled to, to live a life on mission. And so, as we approach the idea of holiness, we cannot simply look at discipline. We cannot simply look at this idea of just stepping out in faith, of just doing what is hard. That's to come. this next week, actually. But we need to start here. We need to start with the the, the fact that we need to encounter God on a regular basis in a meaningful way through prayer, through his word, that we are being filled so that we can pour out. Prayerlessness will lead to joylessness, will lead to a lack of love. Piper goes on to say, if if the pump of joy and love run dry, the pipe of prayer is not deep enough. Uh, That's just the way that it is. Prayer is a fount of joy and love. And joy and love are absolutely essential when we speak of holiness. And so going out from this point, maybe you're inspired to prayer, but it's not the first time you've been inspired to pray. And the last time, the time before that, and so on. It didn't really result in much difference. Because sometimes it's just... Prayer is hard. It's hard to do it well. It's hard to keep going. And I wrestled with this idea because... There's a lot, a lot of advice that could be given on prayer. And I've found that it's, it's kind of stuff that we need to learn on our own. And I, I'm not gonna spend any time, sadly, and I feel bad about this, I really do, I'm not gonna spend any time unpacking practical applications on prayer, but it's intentional. It's intentional because I want you to go and to actually learn. That needs to be step one. Look, if you want, to do anything meaningful in your life, you need to plan to do it. It won't happen spontaneously. If you want to start a new job, if you want to go in a new direction, if you want to take on a new project, it takes work, it takes planning, it takes preparation. And so if you don't plan to pray, it'll never happen. So definitely do that. Plan to pray every day. Put, a t- put time aside. You must. If you don't, you will just naturally fall into the lowest ebb of life. You'll just watch TV instead or something. It's just the way it is, right? You have to plan to do it. And if you want a great resource, I do, I I recommend, once again, the Timothy Keller book on prayer. Just type in Timothy Keller book prayer. It'll come up. Uh, It's a fantastic resource. It's a bit heady, but it's there and it's good. Other than that, uh, I'm I'm open to to learn with you and, and to talk with you about it as well. We're all on this together. But I want to end by praying together, which seems appropriate. And then hopefully I'll see you again next week for part three. God, as we look at holiness, I feel like we keep dancing around the subject, but God, I know that that's not true. I know that we're speaking about holiness as we speak about prayer. Help us and reshape our mind. Help us expand the idea out of how it is that we achieve holiness in our life. God, I've seen in my heart a work that needs to be done in in reforming my mind and my heart around the idea of what do you expect of me? What are you calling out of my life? And I pray you do the same for each and every one of us, God. You would change our expectations, challenge our preconceived notions, so that we might see with more clarity, with more depth of insight, what holiness really means and how it is that we achieve it. God, help us to be inspired and to take that inspiration by your Holy Spirit's power and to put it into action in meaningful ways. Lord, we do long and desire that you be glorified in our life. And now, God, help us to take that next step of planning, (laughs) planning so that you may be glorified in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can find us on the website peoplesmontreal.org. There you'll find information about where and when we meet, as well as a catalog of past sermons and other resources. Hope to see you soon.